Happy Father's Day. I was glad that Elder Bishop was mentioned because my dad used to call him every Father's Day. And I'm privileged to get to be in the house of God with who I consider my spiritual father. But happy Father's Day to all of you. Being a father to Blaine and Claire is one of the, in fact, it probably is the greatest achievement of my life. Uh, Every parent sometimes feels good about the job they do and sometimes not so much. But that just means you're normal. So I'm going to talk to us for just a few minutes this morning. And I have a clock and several people have informed me that they would text me when it was time for me to shut up. So for once, it's okay for me to have my cell phone in church because I might need it. Let's begin. One of the most famous, in fact, the second greatest selling book of all time, that is a fiction story, begins like this. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Probably most of you recognize that the book is titled A Tale of Two Cities. Set in the mid-1850s, Charles Dickens wrote a story about Paris and London prior to the French Revolution and As good as one side of the story was, the other was just as bad. It was terrible. I didn't come to preach about Charles Dickens, but I did come to tell you that the setting into which I will drop our story this morning was much worse than anything Charles Dickens could dream up about. It was the worst of times. In fact, the northern kingdom of Israel in the mid 800 B.C., somewhere along in there, 850 B.C., the the northern kingdom of Israel was so bad, their story should have been written, it was the worst of times. No, wait a minute, it was even worse than that. If, If I stood this morning and began to tell you some of the things that went on in that city, the famine was so great, Brother Darrell, that $450 of our money today, counting for inflation, Brother Charlie would buy you the head of a donkey to make some soup out of. About $40 to $45 would buy you less than half a pint of dove's dung to try to eat, to try to scrape by, to try to live. I even hesitated to describe how bad it was. But in order to make the point, I'm going to say it. History even tells us that men were getting their servant girls pregnant so they could eat their children. There is a recorded story in 2 Kings chapter 6 of two women who made a deal. We will eat your son today and tomorrow we will kill mine and eat him. That's how bankrupt that city was. The famine was so great. 
I would like to say that their morals had died. And perhaps they had. Much like we would consider ours have died today in our world. But it's not just morals, Brother Jimmy. It's that is a symptom of the greater problem. And the greater problem, I believe, is that faith has died. We have, as a society, lost the ability to believe and have faith in a God that can direct and order our steps every day. When you've lost that accountability factor, morals go downhill. And so, into this horrid setting, the prophet of God steps and says, the famine is over. The famine is over. Tomorrow, Samaria will have cheap food and we will all eat. And the message went forth. G.K. Chesterton made a statement and he said, Faith is a perpetually defeated thing, but repeatedly fools us by surviving its conquerors. He also said that faith often got the last laugh by outliving the pallbearers that put it in the grave. There is something about faith that cannot die. And I submit to you that with the light of Jesus Christ in this world, there are men who will stand up and say, the message matters. I'm going to preach to you that for just a few minutes this morning, the message matters. Second Kings chapter 7 and verse number 3, if you want to follow along in your Bibles with me. Into the setting of the city of Samaria that I just told you about, we find a story. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, they, then we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. A couple of their options were death. One of them was nearly certain death. And they chose the latter. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, we do not well 
This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. The message matters. If you continue reading in this chapter, there were two messages that went forth after the lepers decided to go back to the city. The lepers went back and they said, there's food, there's clothing, there are riches. They, they brought their message to the gate. The other message that went forth came from the king. The king said, we can't do this, it's a trap. And so I'm, I'm presenting to you today that the message matters. The message matters. You wouldn't consider those lepers a great messenger. You wouldn't think about them as... I muted it. You, you wouldn't think about those lepers as, as great preachers or as great men of God. Or, but because they chose the right option, because they said, we will not sit here... And we do not well if we keep all of this to ourselves. We need to share this message that, that there are riches here, that there is food here. And they went back to the city and they shared that message, not looking like a preacher. But their message saved the city. Conventional wisdom says, listen to the king. But the message matters more than the man. If Aristotle had known the story of these four lepers, he'd have built his philosophy around the logic of these four lepers. Their major premise was, we're dying. Their minor premise is, we've only got one shot to live. Their logical outworking was, let's go. Pretty simple. And if we look around us in this world, we're dying. Morals are decaying. Things are falling apart at the seams. There's only, we only got one shot, and it's the truth. The truth is our only salvation. And the world will try to shut you down. But the truth, listen to me, men, the truth in your home is the only, it's the only answer that you have. So their actions were based on realizing the frailty of their own condition. And when I can't win, the truth can. Nobody would have selected Jacob over Esau for the birthright. When you compare the two men, you always pick Esau. He's the hunter. He's the provider. He's got hair on his chest. He's all that and a bag of chips. Probably worked out with weights. Jacob slipped around in the kitchen with his... Look, I'm just talking normal what we would think of men. After he stole the birthright, he, he lived part of his life and he, he's coming back and, and all of a sudden he, he finds himself in a setting where now he's got to go meet his brother and that's who he stole the birthright from. So he wrestles with God all night and the Almighty God asks him a question. And in my opinion, just for lack of a better way to put it, it's the dumbest question God ever asked. But God didn't ask it for Himself. He asked it for Jacob. He said, Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob said, I am Jacob. And God said, Thou hast well said, 
thou art Jacob. God asked that question like he didn't know what his name was. Brother Rory, he knew what his name was. God knew what his name was. But the last time Jacob was asked his name, he lied about it. And he said, I'm Esau. And God had to straighten that out before he could make of him a great nation. He said, thou hast well said, Jacob. Now I can give you the message that I need to give you. Now you can carry it because I'm going to make of you a great nation. It's not what you look like on the outside. There are all different shapes and sizes of dads. Some of us are are good at one thing. Some of us are good at another. Some can hit a golf ball. Some can shoot a gun. Some can play the piano. Some can. We're not all good at the same things. But the truth is your greatest weapon. The message matters. The message matters. So this is how we're going to do the rest of this service. Pastor, every week you walk here. And sometimes you say, I've preached this before. Sometimes you say, I've, this is new to me. This is what God's dealing with me about. But whatever it is, to us it never feels washed up. It never feels like you just grabbed something because you just ran out of time. Somebody in here could testify every time you walk to this pulpit and say, I needed that. That was for me. So for a few minutes here this morning, because you feed us every week, I'm going to preach to you on behalf of this church. Not, not just for me, not because you have a weakness. How old are you, Pastor? Sixty-five. I remember a pretty good while ago when Pastor quit playing softball. He was rounding third base, and I was coaching third base. Then I said, go, go, go. And then the guy had a little better arm than I thought, and I tried to stop him, and he tore a calf muscle. And to my knowledge, he's never played again. He hung his glove up and his cleats. So what we want to say to you this morning is go ahead and get old. That's, that's where you're headed. We want you to. Let your hair fall out. We don't care. Let it turn gray. If you get so tired one Sunday that you just can't preach, you just get, then we'll pull the chair out there and let you sit down and preach. I'm serious. He feeds us every week, so we're going to feed him this morning. We're going to tell him what we expect out of a pastor. And I'm going to prove to you that he qualifies. There are two messages in our text, one from a leper and one from a king. One of them led to life and the other would have led to death. Preach to us life. That's what we want. That's what we expect. If you start preaching watered down sermons, we'll go find somewhere else. Preach it like it is. Preach it out of the book. That's what we want. That's what we expect. I'll bring to you a new philosophy. First of all, G.K. Chesterton said, You are free, Pastor, to say that God doesn't exist. You're free to say God does exist, but He's evil. One philosopher even said, uh, his, his name was Reno, he even said, God would like to exist if He could. 
I'll add my name to the list of philosophers, and I'll say it like this. The highest compliment we can pay you is that your message matters more than you. The highest compliment you can pay is to pick your Bible up and get in your car and come sit right here and listen. Because what you come to listen to is not the tie he wears. It's not the suit that he puts on. It's not the way he combs his hair. It's what he drags out of this Word every week and pumps across this pulpit. Because in the Word of God is life. In the Word of God is light. And that's what we need from you. Keep up the good work. And I love, I love that you stood and you clapped. And, and this is why I love it. Are you ready, Sister Chelsea? Because this is what our pastor believes about worship. You can't have a move of God without worship. There will never be a miracle without worship. There will never be a healing without worship. There will never be anything good that happens in the church without praise and worship unto God. I'm glad we got praise singers and music and people that know how to clap your hands, uh, lift your voice, lift your hands, and give God praise. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's why we come to church here. Because I love lifting my hands and worshiping God. And we've got a pastor that encourages it. This is why we bring our kids to church here. What good is it if our children gain the whole world? What about if they're successful, if they got great jobs and making six-figure incomes and, and they're driving nice cars and living in great neighborhoods and going the way uh, of, of society and they're successful and everybody knows who they are? That's not what matters. That's not what matters. What does that matter if a kid don't know Jesus and don't know the value of the kingdom of God? That's what he preaches. And look, I could have done this a hundred times. I could have just stood up here and narrated videos of him preaching. And you would have left knowing that you'd been fed from the Word of God. But here's the last one that I chose for this purpose. Because this is what matters more than anything else. This is what matters. It's not the man. It's where he points. It's where he points his finger. And this is what he believes is the answer in this day and time. This is the way you run the race. This is the way... You, you chart your course. He said this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want everybody to say these three words with me this morning. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. You gotta keep preaching that one. You gotta keep preaching that one to the exclusion of everything else. You gotta keep preaching that one. Truth is what we have a deficit of in this world. You can't watch the news and get it. You can't listen to it on the radio and get it. The only safe place to find the truth is behind a pulpit 
of a praying man that stands and delivers to you the Word of God. Would you stand with me today? Some of you men come gather around our pastor. I know everybody can. We can pray for his health, and there's a time and place to do that. We can pray that he lives long, and there's a time and place to do that. But we're going to pray that God gives him the courage because you don't know what's coming in this world. We're going to pray that God gives him the courage and the backbone to stand in this pulpit every week and deliver to us the truth. Because being first has become more important than being right. And we want our pastor to deliver to us the truth. Father, would you touch our pastor? Give him strength. Give him courage. Give him health. Give him all of those things. But above everything, for the sake of the people in this house today, would you give him the courage to preach the truth? Let him preach the truth, O oh God. We need him. We need your word. And we need them to come to us every week with the truth, O oh God. With the truth, with the truth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I heard a preacher preach a whole message one time, and he titled it, You Need a Preacher. And we need him. We need the truth. We need the Word of God like never before. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor, we got you a card. It's not enough. It's not even close. But the men of this church have your back. And we support you. And we believe in you. Or we wouldn't be here. And before you address us for just a second as we close, on behalf of this entire church, I tell you that your message matters.